Okay, everyone, we're up and running. Thank you for joining. We're going to be learning tonight. I, I last week Thursday I started a mimer, Mizmo Lataida, which is connected to my birthday. We only learned a little bit. I want to come back to it, but today, um, hold on one second. But today, um, there, as, as I mentioned all the time, the primary learning that we learn is from the book Torah Or and Lakuti Torah. And those Mimarim I learned almost all of them, I already taught them, and there's very few left. And I'm really trying to finish the entire book. In Pasha's Bishalach, there is a discourse that we didn't learn. There's two, two Mimarim we didn't learn in Bishalach. One is a, is a, is a, is a, uh, primary mimer, the other one is a explanation on a mimer. All the other ones we learned already. Most of the weeks, I don't have a mimer on the entire arc because we learned them already, not, not that it hurts to learn again, but I would like to always teach something new. And this is the one that's left over, and I want to learn it. That's why I'm suspending the learning that we did in the Siddur last week. And this is going to take us two weeks, this mimer. So this week and next week, we're going to learn this mimer, and then we're going to come back and Conclude the Mimer and the Siddur, Mismal aside the Bezras Hashem. Okay. So this week in the in the parasha, we learned about the splitting of the sea and the song that the Jewish people sang at Harsin at the uh, Yamsuf. The famous Az Yashir, the song of the splitting of the sea. And over, the, over there we say, Ashidal Hashem, we will sing to God, Kigoiga, because he is exalted over the exalted. He's very, very, very high. So it's by the horse and the rider, he casts into the sea. And this amazing discourse, which I don't understand yet. Um, that's why I don't want to finish the mimer this week. I'm also not feeling too well, but for those two reasons. Um, so we're going to hopefully leave the crux of it. Hopefully by the time it comes to next week, I'll be able, our channel will help be able to break it open. But I tell you just the gist of it. The Alter Rebbe in this mimer is explaining how the splitting of the sea was the, the pivotal moment in which God attaches himself to this world. God, from his very, very infinite innermost heights, makes that blast through to open up the channels. Obviously, the channel of Hashem to the world happens by the giving of the Torah, through Torah and mitzvahs. But the, the breakthrough to allow for the giving of the Torah happened already at, 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 at Kriyas Yamsuf. And that's why the splitting of the sea is a hachan, as a preparation for the giving of the Torah. But until that time, there was this absolute, infinite schism or separation between creation and the creator. And the reason was this, 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 this distance because creations are meaningless. All creation is nothing, absolutely nothing to the infinite being. So therefore, not that it wasn't possible to establish a bond with the infinite. It was possible to establish a bond with the infinite, to engage the to engage God, I'm sorry. It's not that it wasn't possible to engage godliness and have a relationship with God. Abram had it, Yitzchak had it, our forefathers had it, the Jews before they went out of Egypt had it. But it was a very, in a very limited context because they weren't connecting to God, they were connecting to godliness, which means they were connecting to a small little ray of Hashem as Hashem is the source of creation. 
but the creation and the source of creation from the eyes of the Alter Rebbe over here in this Maimon is zero. It's not even, it's, it's infinitesimally, infinitesimal, it's nothing. To the, and to the great truth of the Ebershter of, of the himself. By the giving of the Torah, God gave us access to connect to his very self. But the breakthrough and the opening up of that and the building of the channels, that there should be a communication going on from God's very self to the human being down here below, so that Torah and mitzvahs should work, that our mitzvahs that we do should actually be channeling and, 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 and facilitating God himself that happened by Kriyas Yams. And in the words of the Alter Rebbe, it's hinted to in the words, Ashir al-Hashem. Ashir al-Hashem means, I will cause God to sing. I will bring joy to God. You see, it needed a very joyous moment to make this happen. Because the, the nature, this is what he says at the very end of the minor, the nature of, of a person um, when they're not so happy, their natural state without intense joy is that a person is clamped up in themselves. And the more sadder you are, obviously, the more clamped up you are within yourself. The less inner interest you have in, in, in projecting and in, in emanating and in, in reaching out and in flowing, you know. That's why sadness always causes people to sit alone in their basements. And in a sense... Uh, it, 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 there's an isolation. So we're not saying that God was sad up until that point, but the same idea of sadness, which is the idea of being private and being completely closed in, that was until Matan Torah. Why would God be in a relationship with who? Who is yet to be in a relationship with a world? Why should he be excited about being relayed in a relationship with the world? The worlds mean nothing to him. The world's in its full entirety means nothing to him. So to get God to open up, <coughs> the opening up of God is, is happened by the, by the Kriyas Yamsuf. And that was an amazing time of joy. So God, it's in a sense, like we think we went out of Mitzrayim, Hashem also went out of Mitzrayim. He went out of being private into himself, being locked in his infinity. And that's his Mitzrayim. That's a cool idea. Hashem is also in Mitzrayim until you see it's Mitzrayim. He, he, like when we're in Mitzrayim, means that we're super small. We're stuck in our smallness. It's, it's okay. Just for this, it was worth the whole class tonight. Even before we started, even started learning. That's so why you never give up on learning. You should always learn, even if you don't understand the mimer. I hope I'm not saying anything wrong, but it's a really cool idea. I hope I'm not a massive sinner for saying this word, but I like it. I think it's true. And the point of it is like this. We can be stuck in Egypt, and Egypt means our constraints. And what's our constraints? We are stuck in our smallness. We are stuck in our tininess. We're stuck in being, not seeing past our own, you know, little something, our own little egos, our own little space, and our own. And we're really, really tiny and, inf and, 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 and utterly insignificant. And when we go out of Egypt, it means we have a broadness that we can break free and we can lift ourselves up and tap, and, and tap into what is true, what is, what is really meaningful. And ultimately, God is truly meaningful. So we can get out of ourselves and connect to God. That's us getting out of Egypt. God, too, can be stuck. He's stuck in what? Stuck in being big. Stuck in being infinite. 
stuck in being so infinite and nothing else matters. And as a result of that, he has no interest to be in a relationship. So he's sad and depressed in himself. And then God needs to get married also, not just us. And he has to have, he, in some way, he has to find us to be interesting and amusing to him that he should want to be in a relationship with us. And that's what happened by Kriyas Yamsuf. There was such spectacular joy that that joy forced God out of himself to open up a channel from his infinity and boundlessness to us. And which channel is that? That's the channel of Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is the channels through which God communicates to us. And that's the meaning, Ashira, I will sing Lahavaya to Yudke Vavke, according to the Alter Edu. I will sing, I will sing God into Yudke Vavke. Because other than that, when he's not pumping with joy, he doesn't pump out the Yudke Vavke which means a channel of connection to us, the Yudke Vavke energy remains locked up in him like before it ever was emanated. And then he's a closed book. He's closed from us. We are isolated in ourselves, in our super smallness, and he is isolated in his super bigness, and uh, the whole thing is not working. So when we went out of Mitzrayim, we called some Kriyas Yamsuf, we had this Ashida Lashem, let us sing to God. Let us get God excited. Let's create joy above. So that we can touch him at his highest place. And from there, draw forth his channels to open up a, 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 to open up a channel of connection from God to the world. And then after that, once we have Torah Mitzvah, we can pump his light into the world, engage him, involve him, attract him. And then eventually he will be completely manifest down here. And that is the days of Moshiach. That's, that's the whole thing. Now we're done. <laughs> that's the short version. Let's learn inside. Targum Unkelos, the Unkelos translates, that God, that Hashem is Geya, he is exalted over the exalted ones. So what does that mean? Yuvan Ba'agdam, we understand this by first prefacing Lohavin in Yiddish Sameshama Lohavin Mazep. So this is in Torah Oyer, page Daf Samach Beis on the Dalid, or Torah Oyer, page 124. So it says that Hashem is Yuvan Ba'agdam, this will be understood Lohavin in Yiddish Sameshama Lohavin Mazep. So first let's understand the, the idea of the, the, the descent of the soul. What he's going to do is over here. He's going to explain how awesome Torah mitzvahs are. That Torah mitzvahs is a channel to God's very self. And in order to, for us to appreciate the awesomeness of it, he's going to explain how impossible it was to connect to God himself before. Before Torah and mitzvahs were given to us. It was impossible to connect. And it's not that we can't have a godly experience. We can have a godly experience. And he's going to associate the godly experience that we can have before the giving of the Torah with the experiences that the souls have in heaven before they come down in the body. In other words, our pre-Torah, right? Our pre-Torah um, um, connection to Hashem is similar to souls before they come down in the body. Because souls, before they come down in the body, are also in a pre-Torah and mitzvah state. Because the one thing you can't do in heaven is Torah and mitzvah. 
What souls in heaven are very good at, and they're much better at it than we down here, is loving God and fearing God. They have an awesome, emotional, intense relationship with God um, before they come down. However, what they don't know, unknown to them really, is that it's not God that they're so emotionally caught up with. It's godliness. It's their perception of God. It's not that it's a lie. It's, it's the godly perception that comes through God being the master of the universe. And they have an awesome understanding and appreciation of that. And that drives them crazy. It drives them insane with love and awe of Hashem. But yet, it, it's not Torah and mitzvahs. And from there, what does God do? God takes the neshama down and plunges it into a body. And when the soul comes into the body, he takes even that away from the soul. Because down here, we have barely any love and fear of God. And if we, even if we try hard and we manage to squeeze out a little love, like squeezing out a little juice from a lemon, it's not all the time. It's very, 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 it's very rare. And maybe tzaddikim or people who do it exercises daily can do it more. But even then, it's at intervals. It's not, well, it's not consistent. Definitely not nonstop. And secondly, the quality of that love is much weaker than the quality. We learned this in the other mimer. We just learned before this. We learned the mimer about that. How the soul's um, state as it was in heaven is so much greater than it is when it comes down here below. So you got to ask the question, if we're progressing, if the world is all about progress, and how do we know the world is all about progress? Because you see, everybody's trying to progress. We have all the progressives today, right? <laughs> the ultimate progression. Everybody's trying to be in progress. Why are we all in progress? Because God created the world for progress. And because it's, it's a divine desire that we should progress. That's why it's natural in the world and it becomes the innate nature in humans that we want to progress. And God, therefore, is progressing in his plan. And if that's the case, why in the world is he just messing everything up by taking these powerful souls and, 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 and blocking them by putting them into bodies and obscuring their love and their fear? That's his, that's his question. There is no gain there's nothing to gain. It's just a loss. It's a decrease. It's not an increase. So what's his answer? His answer is going to say, "Is yeah, there is no love and fear, but you get Torah and mitzvahs. And, and the Torah and mitzvahs, you still have to have love and fear. Because without love and fear, your mitzvahs and your Torah don't really go anywhere. So you still have to have love and fear. But a little bit of love and fear, even the love and fear, the love and awe of God that we're able to squeeze out in our bodies, which is a pathetic love and fear compared to what the soul had before, is, however, a good love and fear that it can activate the mitzvahs. And once the, our love and fear, today's days, is now not just plain love and fear like the soul had in heaven, but love and fear in the performance of a mitzvah, that carries the person, the soul, to a connection to God infinitely above, exponentially above, indescribably above the place where the soul was tapping when the soul was a weightless soul in the heavens above in a state of pure love and fear to God. Because that love was only within a small little uh, construct of creation. It didn't reach beyond. 
and to reach beyond is only through Torah. So when we appreciate that with our soul, we'll also understand pre-Matan Torah versus after Matan Torah. You know, Avram, our forefathers, when they lived in Eretz Yisrael, before they went down to Mitzrayim especially, they were like souls in heaven. They were like powerful love and fear. We don't have any love and fear close to Avram. Yitzchak, Yaakov, like, they were like But they were lacking Torah. We have the quality of Torah mitzvahs, which is, which takes us into the range of, of, of true godliness. But he's going to explain in the Mimer that this channel happened by the giving of the Torah and it happened and it started at Kriyas Yamsa. That's, that's the gist of where we're going to. But, the real, but again, there are certain Yonim in this Mimer that are, seem to be pretty complicated and Hashem will help and will open up for us. So, so Yuvan, all of this will be understood by Hagdam, by Hagdam at first prefacing Mahavan in Yiri the Son Understand the concept of the descent of the soul. This Yerida, this descent is for the sake of an ascent, he can as it is known. It is known on the We know that the soul, before she came out to this world, our soul stood before God with awe and love. Like it says, it says in a pasuk, I, 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 I swear by God, I think Yohanavi said this, I take an oath by God, that I stood before him. And because it says that I stood before him, so we know, that when, when did Eliyahu stand before God? He's referring to his pre-birth experience. Before he was born, when he was a naked soul, when he was in heaven, his soul stood before God. And when we say that Neshama stood before God, okay, so where do you see that it had love and fear? To stand before God, it's impossible. They don't let you stand there without love and fear. Only with love and fear can you stand there. Where do we see that idea? That to stand in front of God, it's only with love and with fear. The Neshama cannot stand in front of God, above, in front of God, without love and fear. Hold it, we stand in front of God without, without love and fear. But that's because we're not lamailo, we're not above, we're lamato. Down here, yeah. Because down here, you don't feel that you're in front of God. So it's not considered front of, in front of God. Let me explain this a little bit. The difference between Shabbos and the weekday. Shabbos and the weekday. We know on Shabbos, we're not allowed to do any work. 39 prohibited work, Shabbos, we don't do work. Why don't we work on Shabbos? God rested. But there's a deeper reason why we don't work on Shabbos. <clears throat> there's a deeper reason why we don't work on Shabbos. An awesome explanation. The deeper reason why we're not allowed to work on Shabbos is because you're not allowed to lift your hand to do your own work when you're standing in front of a king. When you're standing in front of the king and you bend down to tie your shoelaces, then the king has a right to, to screw off the person's head. That's just the way it is. Well, they were real kings. You know? <laughs> the kings who, had, who used to take people's heads off. So, but in terms of protocol, in terms of like what is acceptable, it is, a, it, it, is, it, is, it is right for a king. Because when you're in front of the king, the only one who is supposed to be noticed is the king, not yourself. So imagine if you're standing in front of the king and you pull your phone out and you're going to answer someone's uh, text. That's a no, 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 no. It's good that people don't, it's good there's no kings these days because eh, 
There would be a lot of people condemned to death because we don't have an ability to even refrain from looking at our phones. But I guess the only way in is to shut the phone before you enter the king because in front of the king, you can't show your own existence. You're just, it's just the king. So therefore, why on Shabbos are we not allowed to do work? The main reason is because it's melach it's your work. Are you cooking an egg in front of, in front of God? It's ridiculous. You know, how do you do that? You're writing, you're writing something in front of God. You're painting in front of God. You're, I don't know, you're dying in front of dying uh, paint. Whatever it is, in front of the Abishkar, how can you do it? But hold it. What happened on Sunday when not in front of God? God is everywhere. So how come on Sunday and Monday we're allowed to do work? And on Shabbos we're not allowed to do work? And the answer is because on Shabbos there are no partitions. God is right in front of us. Even if, even if physically, our physical eyes, we can't see it. Our soul can feel it. So Shabbos, there are no partitions and you are standing directly in front of Hashem. And in front of Hashem, we're not allowed to do any work. What happens Matzah Shabbos, when Shabbos, uh, Saturday night, we say Havdalah and we pull the curtains down. By saying the Havdalah, we're actually pulling the curtains and placing partitions. So even though from God's perspective, the partitions don't block, that he is everywhere. So from his perspective, we should never be allowed to do anything. But he knows that we are living behind the curtain and we're living in a world as if he's not there. And he wants us to operate during the week in that consciousness. So that's why during the week we are supposed to do work. We're commanded to work. But on Shabbos, we're not allowed to because on Shabbos, we are now transported in front of the king. So similar to that idea is the difference between the way things are up there and the way things are down. Since up there it's in front of Hashem because it's a very, over there there aren't those blockages, there aren't those concealments, there aren't so many veils and curtains. So God is far more present. So up there, you have to, the only way you can stand is with love and fear. And anybody that doesn't have love and fear is immediately ejected. Down here, we can be without love and fear. Now, that's how he proves that the that the neshama, the soul, before it came down, since the soul was up there, and not only was it up, it stood in front of God when it was up there. So it needed to do it with love and fear. Now, where do we see that very idea that you can't stand in front of God without love and fear? Where, where do we know that from? So we know that from something else the altar ever says. We know that our mitzvahs that we do need to rise to the upper worlds. After we do the physical mitzvah, the energy of the mitzvah rises and it comes in front of God. But in order for the mitzvah to come in front of God, it can only happen if we do the mitzvah with love and fear. A little bit of love. You have to have some, just doing mitzvahs robotically, habitually, is not really that the mitzvah is still a mitzvah. I'm not going to say it's not a mitzvah, but it's not, it's not soaring upward. It's compared to a bird that doesn't have any wings. A bird is a bird, but a bird without wings can't soar. So the love and the fear are the two wings, the Zohar says, to help the mitzvah soar up in front of God. It means to go into, into a world where the mitzvah can shine. The mitzvah is godly no matter what. But in a place where the light of the mitzvah can be released, it has to go into a more spiritual realm. And in order to go into the spiritual realm, it can't go there without love and fear. That's what the Zohar says. 
So what do you see from there? That nothing can come into that zone if there's no love and affair. There has to be a sense that you're coming in front of God. So if the mitzvah can't stand in front of God without love and fear, so too the soul can't stand in, in front of God without love and fear. And if the soul, souls do stand in front of God before they come out of the body, it's a sign that every single soul before it came down had perfect love and fear of God. But if that's the case, he's going to lead us to the question, so why did God take that away from us? What's there to gain by sending our souls down here that instead of loving God, it loves all kinds of other weird, ridiculous things. So now, cannot stand in front of God without fear and love. Because without fear and love, the neshama doesn't fly upwards. And on this it says, and it's true. And it actually says, when it speaks about angelic beings, beings, residents of heaven, what does it say about angelic beings, residents of heaven? You know what it says about them? It says that they are in a state of racing and retracting. Racing and retracting. Why? Because they're standing in front of God. Because they're standing in front of God, they have the racing is their love, their attraction. So they race forward. And then they recoil, powerful recoil. And as fast as they're zooming forward, they recoil and fly back. And that's because of their of that powerful dread, which throws them away from coming close. It casts them backwards. And it's a constant racing for love and fear. Now that says about the angels. And the altar of it says, just like it's about the angels, it's even more so by souls. Because souls are even higher than angels. What exactly is the Maria Bozak? I think it's flashing fire. So the fire goes out and in. It's flames of fire. And even though one can argue and say that's the angels, and we're applying that to our souls when our souls were spiritual, not in a body. The same thing applies to the souls. And all the supernal uh, hosts above. And what the racing is Ava, is love, but Ava with love. That the soul should long and expire in front of God. That a Shama should experience a longing to connect. The Shuv, and then the, on the other hand, the soul experiences afterwards a fear. The Shuv, it retracts. Beira with fear. And what's the fear? whose heart dares him to come close. In other words, the very note, you want to get close, and then suddenly you realize, I'm getting close to this supreme being. And I, you get you overcome with dread, and you dread step backwards. Who am I to step into some... And that, so that's love in the field. All of that dramatically changes when the neshama comes down into this world. This the fear and the love become obscured and hidden. And the slap and the soul becomes enclosed in a physical body. And the physicality of the body coarsens our entire consciousness. We don't feel God too much. 
and we feel the world very much, not so much Hashem. So we don't really get excited about God. So therefore, we don't feel the passion and the fire to get close. Meshuvah, we also, also don't feel the, the dread of him. We can't be anymore in that electrified state. Bozak, I think, is also like a form. Maybe, I don't know if it's really that way, but I know the electrical company in Israel is called Bezek, right? Which is the idea of the Bozak. This is the electrical current, which electrical current is a plus and a minus. So maybe this is the idea of the electricity. Bang, bang, bang. It's in and out. What? Yeah, yeah, Hashmal is also. Same idea. Yeah. The Nisham is not able to maintain that state as the soul was above. What then? However, it's only at certain times and intervals that the soul awakens from time to time. You have a good fabring, you sing a nigan, in shul, you're in the middle of, of dominating, and suddenly there's an awakening and the soul gets excited. And, and then even at the times of the interval so not again he's bringing out two two, two, two um, um, losses that we have by coming in a body number one if the love is not consistent when it was in heaven it was non-stop love and non-stop fear over here it's very choppy there's a lot of spaces in between that we totally forget about our love and fear of God and in addition to that even when we feel it it's not such intense love at all. Nowhere close. Our love and fear down here in the body has no comparison at all. If we compare it to the love and the fear that the soul had, Mia may kept them in her early days when she was up there in heaven. And so why does Hashem send our Neshama down? But we have to say, that the souls descend into this world is for the sake of an ascent. The gain the soul gets is through Torah study and the performance of mitzvahs because through Torah and mitzvahs um, she will gain more than where her love and fear will take her. Love and fear elevate the soul but nowhere close to where the Torah and the mitzvahs we do <coughs> in our physical bodies. So if you did a mitzvah today, you can sing and dance forever. If you gave tzedakah today, or if you learned a little Torah today, because that's infinitely more precious than the soul's experiences when it's in heaven. But to understand what that is, so therefore we need to understand to understand the advantage and the quality of Torah study and fulfillments of mitzvahs. Which is much greater than the fear and the love that the neshama had. What is that? That is known. It is known what it says. It says in davening we say this is in the first blessing of the shema preceding the shema that is said in the morning. Yotzer or and the end of it is a part called lekel baruch the imoyis yitenu, and the end we say. That God is the master of wonders. And then we continue. He, he renews with his goodness. Every single day, God renews the creation. That's what we say. He's the master of wonders. So, 
by analyzing these, this phrase of the Siddur that we say every day, we can gain an appreciation of where, what is the, the, the greatness of Torah and mitzvahs over the, the, the excitement and the, and the godly experiences the soul has before. And let me, let me just say it very, a little, uh, just uh, very uh, uh, short, just in the Kuda, and then afterwards we will learn it in, at greater length. And the idea is as follows. Um, the the, the Hamachadish Betuvah, that God renews the creation, the Cholyayim Tamit, is the godliness that becomes down and becomes part of the creation and sustains the creation. But that's not God himself. That's not even the infinite light of God. That's just a ray of the infinite light. And that's what he refers to as the Mamala Kalal, the indwelling light of the divine, which creates and sustains the creation. And that ray is renewed every day because that ray naturally should be reabsorbed in its source. It actually desires to go back into its source. But every day it's, it's renewed again, that ray. But that's not God. That's an infinitesimally little projection of the divine. Where does that ray come from? What produces that ray? That ray is called Maisei Bereshis. The, the act of creation. The energy of creation. Maisei Bereshis. Now above this ray, above this ray that produces the creation. Now when we say the creation, we mean the sum totality of all the creation. The lower worlds, the higher worlds, the even higher worlds, the even higher worlds, the entire chain-like progression of boundless infinite worlds, which I just discussed at Monday night. In the Monday night class, we said that how there's still infinity, even within the finite, there's still infinity. It's like this infinite finite blend that we spoke about on Monday. So there is like myriads and myriads of worlds, but that's all called my saberacious, the work of creation. And all of that is renewed. What renews it? Who renews it? One word, bituvai with his goodness. In other words, there is a goodness, which is obviously Hashem's goodness, which that renews not just the creation, it renews the soul of creation. The maiseh beratius, the act of creation, which is divine energy that's infused within the creation, which in Kabbalistic terminology is called memalakalalman. It is being renewed by a power that's higher than it. And that's Tuvai, his goodness. Yeah? So what's the Tuvai? What's his goodness? His goodness, that's already a light that's higher than the energy of creation. It's his goodness. It's like an infinite goodness. There is an infinite goodness because he's infinitely good and infinitely kind. He chooses, he chooses to imbue the cosmos and recreate the cosmos all the time. So now we have two levels over here. We have the actual renewal of all of creation, which is the Mamala Kalam and the indwelling light that's that's flowing to the world. And above it, there is the Tuvai, his goodness. But where does the where does the Tuvai come from? That's a lot of really. So really, you have my Saberations, which is the energy of creation. You have the tuva, the goodness that is wanting to create this ray. But the tuva itself is also only a ray of something higher. 
No, there's my Sibiracious is the creation of Malakalam, the indwelling light. The Tuvai is so vague. It's like, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a goodness that's infinite. And that's Mechabesh. But who is Mechabesh? Where is that Tuvai energy coming from? It's coming from the word before that. What's the word before that? Adoin Haniflois. What's Adoin? The master of wonder. Master of wonder is as follows. That we say like this. Part of, part of creation is, we spoke earlier, is a whole, the whole system of creation. The highest, highest beginning of creation we know are the ten spheros, which is Chachma, which is the first, the first energy already that's related to creation. And Chachma itself, there's even higher than Chachma, because we say the Chachma wisdom comes from Keter. Keser is called Pele. It's called Nifla'ois. It's called a wonder. That's Keser. Abdonin Aniflois means he's the master over Keser. To him, Keser is considered like a physical activity. Not only is Chachma considered Chachma to Keser is considered almost a physical activity. And Keser to, to him is considered as a physical activity. And therefore, he's the master over Kesser. So therefore, in order for in order for this whole system, first Kesser, which is the which is like the infinite will for creation, and then Chachma, which is the wisdom of cre for creation, and then the divine wisdom, and then lower and lower, it's all needs to be renewed every day, Bituvai with his goodness, from where, from a place that infinitely and utterly transcends it all. The master of the flows. Now, that's the place that could be depressed, meaning it's locked in himself. Because why should he even go out of himself? Why should his goodness come out to, to emanate and create and to sustain life? But he doesn't. Because the goodness is there. And therefore, he's emanating and creating the whole Sederish Talshus and the whole, the whole thing. Who is doing it? The master of, of Pele. He's above even Pele. He's so high. And the Tuvai that comes out of him is his energy that emanates from his very self to, to activate this in him. Now, he's going to explain that the, 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 the source of all creation, including spiritual creations, the source even of the divinity of creation, not just spirituality, but even the divine lights of creation, including the souls, including souls, because souls are part of the divinity of the creation. So the souls are very high. But the source of them is all part of my sabiracious, all part of the, of the act of creation in creation itself. There's the lower parts of creation, the more spiritual parts of creation, the loftiest, the loftiest of the loftiest includes everything. And therefore, when the soul seeks out a relationship with its creator, when the soul seeks out a, 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 is excited and wants to get close to its source of life, who is the soul drawing to? The Mycebaratius, the force that's creating including creating the soul or emanating the soul. So the soul is drawn to its source. But since its entire source is only my sabiracious, 
That's what the soul can comprehend. That's what it can understand. God, as God is already in the context, some sort of context, some sort of definition. And to that, the soul yearns for. But higher than that, the soul doesn't know. Higher than that is completely outside. It's not at all that's that. It's not known to the soul. It's not sensed by the soul. And the soul can't even yearn for it. And therefore, the neshama doesn't connect to it. Because it can't, it can't yearn for it. It's love and it's fear do not take it up to that level. Fear a little bit. It senses, you know, the truth is the fear does come because it senses that whatever it knows and it wants to attach itself to, it know, it, it, it senses and it appreciates that there's an infinite depth over there that's much deeper and from that it recoils. And it causes the neshama to step away. So to that level, the soul is not going close. It's not attaching itself. It's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's intimidated by it. And that's where Torah and mitzvahs come in. Because Torah and mitzvahs is a, is a direct delivery and a link. Torah is, a, is an access code. That's what it is. Every mitzvah is a, God sends us a link to what's higher than my Saberatius. Just like when you, you know, you, 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 you know, you're, you're privileged to be part of some great inner, inner, inner group, and they're having this big elite meeting, and everybody's COVID time, so no one is going physically to the meeting. Everybody's at home, and everybody gets a Zoom link, but it's a very serious Zoom link. It's not shareable to anybody else. It's only your own private uh, link that you can link into this meeting. That's what God gives us in Torah and mitzvahs. He gives us, he sends us through every mitzvah and through everything, a, through every word of Torah, through every halacha in Torah, in link to his inner, inner being, which is not revealed at all in creation or to any of the creation. And it infinitely transcends the source of creation. But in Torah and mitzvahs, we get it. Now we can understand why the Torah and mitzvahs is so much higher than the love and the fear that we had before. Because all of that is all only relating to God as he is already the, the, the skeleton of creation. The power of creation is within, but not, a, not above. And the little bit that's within is nothing compared to what is above. Okay, now let's read it inside. What does that mean? from the beginning of, of all worlds, of the whole chain-like progression, until the end of all creations. They are coming, they're renewed every day from nothing to something. Now why is that? Why does it have to be renewed every day? The reason why it has to be renewed every day is because it's so valueless. Because if God himself would be the skeleton of creation, the backbone of creation, then God wouldn't have to renew the creation continuously. He is, and because he is, his lights, the sun, you know what I'm saying? If creation would be close to God in that sense, then just by the mere fact that God is, then there would be consequential, there would be a creation. So if God's entity is to be the soul of creation, 
But since he, inf- he is outside, completely outside of the context of any kind of finitude and any kind of ideas and logic, and all, he supersedes it all infinitely. And therefore, when he creates it, it's, it's something from nothing. It has no relate. And therefore, he has to continuously sustain that, continuously make that, because naturally it shouldn't be. It's not leaning on him. Because it has no relationship to him. It's leaning on godliness, but that godliness is, is considered nothing compared to the to its infinite source. So and what is creating it? What's renewing this entire chain-like progression of worlds, the upper and the lower? And that renewal is called the memalak note, not what's renewing it. But what's included in that renewal? Not just the worlds are created every day. It's not just the physical, the worlds, but the mamalikalam, the, the godliness of the creation is also renewed every day. Then it's it's the energy force in the world that's a new energy every day. The Isdarachishtaus was that he should descend from, from cause to cause. And the way he, he, he descends into the progress of creation is first to create the more inner, inner, inner stages of existence, which are the spiritual worlds. The spiritual supernal world. And detached intellectual beings, which are referring to very, very sublime beings that don't have a body, which means they're pure, pure intellect and no physicality at all. From there, the descent, then there is a process of evolvement where things evolve level after level, energies descend lower and lower and lower and lower until things become materialized. And we can see the physical universe, we can see heaven and earth and so on and so forth. This comes after a long chain like progression in which the Entire chain-like progression is renewed every day. Through which? Because there's a renewal in the divine energy of it all, and that's the indwelling light of God. God as he is the soul of creation. That soul of creation is renewed every day. That's the Mamalakla. However, Kamashal Anishama oh, is giving this first example of how things evolve from spiritual to physical. We see that in our spiritual life as well. Our first um, um, energy that we have is the energy in our brain, and from the which is our intellectual energy, which is far more spiritual. And then the energy goes down from the upper parts of our body, lower and lower and lower, until it becomes more physical energy. Everything starts as an idea in your head, as an abstract idea, then it becomes more of a tangible emotion, and from the emotions, it becomes more. It starts relating more to the outer limbs. Until you go ahead and you do a, you speak, you can move your, and then you go ahead and you do an action. Things move stage by stage. Um, the, the beginning of the revelation is in the moach in the mind. The pen afterwards in the mouth. Hadibur the speech. And then it comes down to action. A healthy human being doesn't just act. First, he wants to consult about it to other people. You want to talk about it. And then, and, and before you talk about it, you want to think about it. 
and, and, and you develop, so things move from a more inner state. Now, why is he bringing that? I, I'm thinking, just could be. And you see by us that, that every day when you go to sleep, you're refreshed. Every day it's a new. What, what's refreshed? Is the refreshing only your physical strength? In other words, you know, the physical actions that we do, you're tired. So you go to sleep, and then tomorrow, the moment you wake up, you can do physical actions. No. The, the refreshing, the new neshama, the new energy that we have every day, the new life force starts in our brain. First, we have new intellectual energy every day and emotional energy. And then and we're refreshed from our head all the way down. So just like, and, and we're like a small little body reflecting the big, ginormous body, which is the cosmic body of the cosmos, the, the whole chain-like progression. It's like a one big, huge, ginormous human being that's refreshed every day. And this so that there should be in a whole a whole range of existence, which creates an upper and a lower, first spiritual and then physical. Who activates this entire, what brings about this entire thing? We shouldn't think that this is just, this has to be. This, this is this, because God somehow is himself shaped in this form. So it has to be. He says, no, no. Who uh, this is betuvai. This is coming from God's goodness and his compassion. What the idea of compassion means that you lower yourself down to someone who's way, way, way lower than you. That's the idea. You have compassion on someone who's very, very low. And God's infinite goodness and his compassion is what drives him to descend down to become the soul of the universe. Like it says in the Apostlech, that God is good to everyone, and he has mercy on all of his creations. And the reason why you need mercy, as he explains, because he for himself is infinite. And he encompasses all worlds. And what does that mean? He encompasses all worlds. Not that just he surrounds them all, but to him they're all meaningless. That's what it means. And that's, what, that's why he surrounds them equally, because to him, the highest and the lowest, the whole thing is one meaningless thing. It doesn't have any value because he infinitely transcends it. Yes, he creates. Yes. Because of, of his mercy, he creates them. That's his mercy, that he lowers himself down to create something tiny and insignificant. Yeah, okay, that's... That's also not because it has a chashimus. It has a taiva. At least have a taiva is concussionish. That's why we explain that it, on a, on a taiva, there's no there's no explanation. There's no logical explanation of why he likes this world. It's a taiva. This he decided to want. He he chose to want it. It's a choice that he's making, but it's a choice that involves his mercy, his constant mercy, and his infinite kindness to lower himself down to pay attention. Yeah. He's a side of Kalam and he encompasses all worlds. He equalizes cotton, the god of big and small. Milo, Mata, up and down. Gashmi is Verukhli is physical and spiritual. Shavu Lafana are both absolutely equal before him. The Zehu, and this is the meaning of Hadoin Hanifloiz. He is the master of wonder. What does that mean? Piddish, Shafilub Khinis Niflois. Even the highest, most 
sublime levels of existence, which to us we call them a wonder. They're so hidden, they're so inaccessible, they're unknowable, they're so vast. Shen Almanstein, and they're called the concealed worlds. They don't have any value to him at all. He does wonders. That the wonders is like an action. That, that even Pele, which is so high, is considered an action before him. Therefore, <coughs> what does that mean? The level called which is referring to God himself, he's a, a to him, all of existence is nothing that he has to make a Pele. So we're dealing with, well, basically what he's saying is the entire value system of higher and important and things that are more important and things that are spectacular and even more spectacular and, and more impressive and more impressive and more impressive, which is, a, which is an endless chain of greater and greater grand, grandeur and greater majesty and greater beauty and greater significance. This entire measuring scope is all for anybody that's living within the construct. For the supreme being who's above the construct, the whole thing is meaningless. And the whole thing is just simply an act of pure kindness and compassion. So that's what the idea of Adon Aniflos emphasizes. He's just a master over even that which, even the tippy top of this whole thing, which is considered a wonder, which no one can comprehend throughout the entire thing, is to him considered an action. Something very low. And therefore, anybody that's within the construct can only appreciate and, and relate to what's within the construct, but not what's outside the construct. And there's an unbridgeable distance. And therefore, an absolute lack of connectivity. It's impossible to connect. And that's where God gives us the means to connect. From that very high place. As he explains now, we need to wake the cleaving of the soul in its source. Now, the soul, see, the difference between material matter and, and the lofty soul is that matter doesn't gravitate to its source because matter sees itself as its own source. Matter is so coarse, thick, and dense. It's so brute that it 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 it's 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 awareness is only itself. The soul is total opposite of matter. No matter at all. It's pure spirit, pure pure spirit. Because in spirit itself, there's many levels. Pure pure spirit. So the, the purer it is, the more it senses where its energy is coming from. And, and at this very, very high level of purity, it's been pulling 
enormously, just like matter sucks into itself. What matter does, it pulls into itself. A materialistic person is always pulling into his own being. Spirituality is seeking, seeking to transcend itself. To where is life coming from? It's looking higher and higher and higher. So where is the soul in heaven that's lofty looking for? It's looking for its source. What's its source? Its source that it can know is within the construct, not outside the construct of creation. It's the energy, the creative energy that has been bestowed, which is renewed every day to create the world. Two levels of renewal. God renews the energy and their energy renews the creation. So the creations, they know the energy and they, and they draw towards this energy. And that's what they love. What? Yeah, so the shaman can only know the malakala, and that's what it pulls for. In its source, in the living God, comes from her understanding as a highest She is appreciating and understanding the life force that is expanding from the Orin Seif. But blessed to see to enliven the world, which is not God, but it's with God. With you is the source of life. That means the source of life is embedded in God once. Then it, it's a, a tiny little infinitesimal little ray that emanates from it. And it was once with him, and then it like extends to create. And that godliness is what the soul is seeking. Um, that's what excites the soul. To love Hashem. That's why he cites the Neshama, that he is your life. Like it says in the Pesach, why do you love God? You love Hashem because he is your life. That means you feel that he's life-giving. So which level of the divine is life-giving? The, the energy of God that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of within the construct of creation. And yeah, no, not even the betuloi. The betuloi is too lofty. The betuloi is what's is the cause, is the soyve, is the energy from the soyve to create the mamale. The the mamale is the machadish, the the maise benacious. That's what the neshama is pulling towards. But if your heart is racing towards this godliness. Return. The fishu. In other words, we learned earlier that the soul is in a constant state of rotsa, it's racing and retraction. What's the retraction all about? Why doesn't the soul go all the way? Because there's a certain point where the soul realizes that what it is attracted to, in truth, is much bigger than its perception of what it is. And that causes the soul to recoil. And that truth of the godly. You realize we're not dealing over here with two separate gods, God forbid. We're talking about levels of perception in the divine. The, 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 the energy that is perceived by the cosmos is this tiny ray, but the ray is really one with him. So, so when the soul realizes who the him is, and that's not within the perception of the soul, it causes the soul to freeze. 
and to throw back. Because God himself is the master of wonders. And he's the one who creates even wonder. He makes it. And he's not at all within the level of the soul being able to apprehend or understand. That's why the soul retreats. It retreats and then it's fired up again. That's why we also say in, in, in the same words in, in, in the blessing of the Shema, we say Adon the master of the flies. In Shir Shalyoim, not Shir Shalyoim, in the Shir Sayam, in the song of Oz Yashir, we say, So remember, we just said that Osei Pele and Adonai Neflois is the same level. It's the same idea. Adonai Neflois means he's the master of the wonders. That means the first highest level of creative energy, which is called Pele, which is a mystery to all of creations, to him, he's like, it's like an action to him. It's not who he is. It's like a physical action. It's, it's endlessly removed from who he is. That's the highest quintessential source of creation, which is of a level of Keter. Wow, it's boundless. To him, it's only an action. The same idea is Oisei Pele as Adoin and the flows. Okay. But what, what's the, in, 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 in uh, the song of the, of the, of the Shira, what do we say? Together with Oisei Pele, what do we say? Noira Tehilois. which means he's too awesome for praise. Now we understand. That level that's Oisei Pele is too awesome to praise, which means praising means I appreciate it, I understand it, I gravitate towards it. I, I, I appreciate your, your greatness, I want to get closer to you. I can praise you and I can get closer. But this is like, it, the soul suddenly realizes it knows nothing. For sure, angels for sure not. They're completely stuck in the Mamalakalam. So on this level is with this, on this level, there is silence. Noira Sehilo is too awesome to praise. Because Oisepele, the highest praise you can say. What's the highest praise? You can say like this. I mean, I, I, you can say, you're so smart, you're so intelligent, you're so good, you're so kind. You're so, and when you're getting higher and higher, the highest thing you can say, you're mind blowing. You're, 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 you're a wonder. You just don't say anything. Wait, wait, wait a minute. No, no, no. But you're a wonder is still something that you can grasp that he's a wonder. But when you realize that what you are wondering about and what you're saying you're a wonder is not even a wonder by him because he, that's, that, that wonder is to him like equal to a peanut. It's nothing. So then when you reach that point, you reach the ceiling. Of, you reach the ceiling of praise. What can you say anymore? Even what you are saying is a wonder, which is beyond your mind. <laughs> it's not a wonder to him. That's just not a wonder to him. It's it's he lowers himself down to be so so wondrous. When we say lower himself down, he has to infinitely contract 
to be in a state that you can go, wow, you blow my mind. Wow, you're whoa. So when you when you appreciate that, what are you saying? You, you don't praise anymore. You're just silent. Because it's higher than the wonder. Wonder is still part of the praising. It's your last praise you can pull out. It's like when you're done with every level of praise, the highest thing you could say was, wow, you're, you're just beyond. But when you realize that he's beyond, beyond, then what can you say anyway? It's just silence. It's just you feel silly, nothing to say. And more than that, all you can do is say, you know, I better just shut up. That's basically what it is. I have to be quiet. It's because he's the master over wonder. We fear to praise him. That does mean that what? That's fine. There is what I can appreciate from you. There is what you blow my mind with in which I say, whoa. And then there is what I can't even say whoa about. So I'm just going to be silent. So if I'm silent, I, I give up. At this level, At this level, I just surrender. I go back home. Ah, now is when you start doing Torah Mitzvahs. Because that's where Torah Mitzvahs is going to take you. It's going to take you into a place where you can't even be wondered by. But through the study of Torah and the fulfillment of mitzvahs, then the dveikus on nefesh, the cleaving of the soul, is going to be in the soivev, is the master of the wonders. Why? What is, why, how is Torah and mitzvahs going to cleave to that place? Because Torah and mitzvahs are drawn they are taken from the Soviet Kalaman. They are taken from God's private self before he even begins to create a channel, a, 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 a chain-like progression of relatability to the creation. They come from God's private inner being, from a place infinitely and utterly beyond any whatsoever relationship to the creation. And this was the whole idea of splitting of the sea. When did we say, when did we appreciate that? That Noida you got to be quiet by Kriyas Yamsuf. Because we are anticipating to connect to this place. How? Torah Mitzvah is coming. This is why Kriyas Yamsev was a preparation for the giving of the Torah. And because what happened by Kriyas Yamsev, God took the sea and made it dry land. What does that mean? That the sea became dry land. We spoke earlier that from we spoke earlier that from the level of creation and from the level of my there's a whole system. Higher, lower, 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 lower. Things, everything has its place. And there's a whole hierarchy. 
and an infinite hierarchy of higher and higher and higher and worlds and worlds and worlds and a whole system of more value, less value. But then we say, if we tap God himself, what happens? He utterly, infinitely transcends both. The highest, most abstract value is equal to the lowest, lowest, most insignificant pebble on the beach or piece of sand or discarded candy wrapper. Think about it. The most celestial, beautiful, endlessly beautiful thing, since it's still context and infinitude, he is so much above it that it is equal to a candy wrapper. That's in the back, in the bottom of some, you know, garbage dump. It's all nothing. It's all absolutely nothing. But once we drop, once we lower down and we drop into the energy of creation, you better believe this. This is value. This is less. This is enormously. This is small. There's already a system. What happened by the splitting of the sea? The sea and the dry land became equal. Sea represents sublime worlds. Very, very luminous, sublime worlds. Dry land represents concrete material existence. In general, these are two zones that don't mix together. Sea and dry land are not, not exactly the same. For sea to become dry land, dry and to be able to, and for people of dry land to walk into the sea, it means there's a certain equality taking place. How did that happen? How did it happen that sea and dry land suddenly equaled out? How is it possible that such vast, balance infinitely um, um, vastly different zones match together is because something much higher was revealed. Who was revealed? Since the master of wonder from where who's infinitely above wonder was revealed that was able to equalize the highest and the low by the, by the giving. And that opened us up and that was an introduction to the giving of the Torah. Because by the giving of the Torah, that's what we're tapping. And that's why by the giving of the Torah, we can do the most spiritual things and we can do them with physical activity. They also have the contradiction. You're doing such sublime things. So, so you should be in a state of sublimity. You should be fasting 49 days and be completely removed from your body and in this abstract state, touch and make some kind of meditation and then maybe you're touching the light. No, we don't do that. We, we are touching the life, but how are we doing it? With physical. There's a certain equality between the most physical and the highest spiritual moment, and it's all one. Because we're touching something that infinitely transcends it all. We're not within the construct. We're above the construct. And that was revealed by the by Yam is the concealed world. Like our sages say, the sages say that the sea and the dry land are two parallel worlds. Whatever there is in the sea, there is in dry land. In dry land, in the sea, everything is covered. What does that mean? It means the concealed worlds, very, very high states, places where things are concealed from us. But by the splitting of the sea, the concealed world was fully revealed in the revealed world. 
to allow for the revelation of drawing of the Torah by the giving of the Torah during the time. In other words, it was a preparation for what was going to happen by the giving of the Torah. Okay. In a, now, just going to learn a little more, and then we're going to leave the rest for next week. In a Now, the letters of the Torah, post Matan Torah, we received the Torah. The letters of the Torah are called horses. That was the last thing you would expect the letters of the Torah to be called horses. What is a horse? A horse is an animal but it's an animal that has always been used as a as a car as something that can as a traveling uh as a traveling um means a means for transportation And people that would carry stuff, couriers, right? People would bring messages from place to place. They would be riding on horses. They would take letters from place to place, so on and so forth. Horsemen, they would bring faraway places and bring stuff. The letters of the Torah are also, um, they carry, just like letters in general in a person. What do words do? They move. They move things from one place to the other. Think about it. I have, an, I have a concept. I have a thought. And how is that thought going to get around? I take the thought. I put it on letters. The letters are the horses. I dispatch the horses. I speak. Words go. When the horses arrive to you. You hear my words. And hopefully, you're not just hearing the words, but you're receiving the, 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 the message that's coming either the verbal message by the writer or the letter that he's giving home. So the concept is being transmitted, but how did it get from me to you through the horse? And a person could send ideas out to the entire world. When Pirate, when Averish wanted to send out uh, his edict and he wanted to reach the entire civilized world, what did he do? He put them on the horses. They ran out. They were running. The runners, they ran on horses and they went across the kingdom to carry to the farthest places. A person sits with a typewriter today with a computer. He has an idea. He types it out, sends it out, and before you know it, today people send their horses out a tweet, and suddenly the whole, the whole world's reading their tweet. You sent out your idea on a horse. The horses are racing outwards. So the letters are called horses, and there are God's horses. There are God's horses. What are God's horses? What are Hashem's horses? They bring, they can carry us to godliness, to very, very high places. That's the idea. Just like a horse carries the rider. Now, what it means the horse and the rider was cast in the sea, that we're only going to see in the end of the mind. 
But first, let's understand what the horses are and why the horses of the Torah are called horses. The horse, a horse is secondary to the rider. What do we mean by that? No one is, everybody, everybody understands that when you have a horse and a rider, the horse surrenders to the rider, unless you don't know how to ride. <laughs> unless you shouldn't be horseback riding. If, you know, if, if the horse is going to call the shots, that's no good. When a person sits on the horse, the, the person dominates the horse and leads the horse to where the person wants to go. So the horse is secondary. But if the horse is secondary, so why do you have to, if the horse is only secondary to you, why do you have to schlep this big, you know, 400-pound animal, a 500-pound animal? Why are you pulling that with you? If the horse is only secondary, so you go yourself. He's secondary to you. If he's better than you, now, but you see, even though he's secondary, what does he do? He has certain power that you don't have. And that is why. He can take the rider where the rider couldn't go on his own. Right? First of all, it can take you a distance much faster. And secondly, it can also take you to places that are too hard for a human to climb. Horses are have better grip and they can go up and go down steeper cliffs. It's able to run. And it's able to lead the rider to the place where the rider was not able to reach Belisus without a horse. So to all the combinations of letter of the Torah, they have this incredible advantage. Who, When you learn Torah, what are you doing? You're the rider. You're getting on to, we're learning right now. These letters that we are learning, we are putting ourselves onto these letters. Or when you're learning a Mishnah, you're learning a Pasuk of Chumash, you are now jumping onto these horses. We're going to see soon, you have to direct the horse. You have to have the right mindfulness that you're learning Torah because you want to connect to God. You have to say to the horse, we're going up. Because if you sit down on the horse and you're not directing, which means you're not adding any energy to it, then it's no good to be on a horse when you're not in energy. When you don't have like that control. The control is that your emotions, your love and your fear has to direct the horse. But your learning Torah is not just a learning. It has to be mindful learning. You're learning and you want to go towards Hashem. But once you want to get close to God through Torah, the words of the Torah take you much higher than your emotion, than your intention. Because the words are holier than the soul. They're like the horse that can take them. When the horse is guided by the rider, then the horse, if the horse is not guided by the rider, then the horse is going to stay and eat, 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 eat hay. It's not going to do anything. But when you kick the horse, and you direct it with the reins, and you hold on to it, then the horse can gallop and run and carry you to very high places. The Jew hops onto the, the verse of Torah, and the Torah gallops and takes the Jew, the Jew way, way, way higher than anywhere we're able to reach, because our own love and fear, as we spoke earlier, remain kind of within the context of what we can appreciate about God, within the limitations of what we can understand all the way to the place that we can blown, be blown away by him and be awed. But even that awe is still within the construct trucks. 
construct, and he is infinitely beyond it. Beyond it. So therefore, you need the Torah and mitzvahs, which come from there, to actually lead you into that reality of God. What? You're supposed to have the, the excitement that I want to connect to God. I want to go with the Torah to Hashem. If I don't think that I want to go with the Torah, I'm learning Torah just because I want to be knowledgeable. Or, you know, that doesn't work. It, 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 uh, you, have to, you, have to kick, you have to kick the letters. You give them a little oops. You kick them. And you kick them with, the, with, with motivation, with your fire. You're learning Torah to, to connect to Hashem. As he explains in a minute. Because when the soul is now having dveikus in Hashem, but doing it through Torah, even if you're not so understanding of it, that's the amazing thing. You're supposed to learn Torah with understanding, but even if you don't really get it, Sometimes you learn Torah and it's a little bit above you. But if you love the words, if you're saying I'm reading holy words and you're connecting to the words, the words themselves are taking you. You don't understand it so clearly. But he's emphasizing over here, it's not so much the context, the concepts of the Torah. It's more the holy words of the Torah. That's the horses. The words themselves are holy words. Even in English, I mean, it's, he's not saying you don't, you're not supposed to understand. But in this sense, what's more, most important over here is that you're aware that you're reading holy letters. And of course, the more you understand it, the more you're getting into it, the more you're investing yourself in these letters. Or else you're hanging and dangling on the horse. From, you know, <laughs> so you want to really sit on the horse because you really want to get into it. Because you want to understand it as well. But the main thing is to hold on to those letters. And to the preciousness of these letters being holy letters. Meaning these are words coming from the divine. And even if we understand them, that's not their real meaning. Their real meaning are on levels that we will never... We can't, as we said, it's from outside the cosmos. It's from outside all the spiritual cosmos. That's where these words come from. That's why these worlds are so awesomely holy. You're speaking them. And it's very important that you speak the words. When you're only thinking them, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have the same idea. It's most important that it has to be spoken, verbalized. They elevate the soul to a place to a place that the soul would never have touched. Where the soul would only have touched from its own source. Why? Because the root of the letters of the Torah are higher than the root of the soul of, of the source of the soul. The Abba Yasid Brata, because the Nishama comes primarily from Bina. And the letters, the words of the Torah come from Chachma, Abba, Father. And in Chachma dwells the Orient Sof. So in Torah, Torah brings you up all the way into the other side, what's outside of the construct of creation. But one thing is you have to ride the horse. You need to ride the letters. You should, you should hold on to the reins. Because if not, and the, the, and the two reins, one and the other, is love and fear. 
You have to evoke within yourself the love and fear as much as you can, and that's where you give direction to the horse. You, you're excited about God. You fear God, and you're giving the horse the direction to get you to God, and then the Torah will get you there much higher than what you can do within your own meditations. And even if you can't really create revealed love, but even if you just have a silent background of love of God, when you're learning Torah, you recognize at a distance that this is divine, that is also sufficient. The main thing is that you have some kind of, you don't just learn Torah like you're reading some secular book. You're reading it with a sense of its divinity, and in some way, even in a very hidden way, you're aware that you love God and you want to get close. Because without love and fear at all, it doesn't ascend. You need to have some love. But then the Torah will tell, take you to the highest place. And just like it is regarding Torah, it also is so regarding all other mitzvahs. It's not just Torah. Just like Torah takes you outside of the box, mitzvahs also. See if it says in the Pasuk, by Yira, by Avram Avinu. And it says, I love him. Why do I love him? Because he's going to command his children that what? That they should that they will guard the way of Hashem. To do tzedakah and mishpah, to do righteousness and judgment. And why will he command them? So that God can bring on Abraham and on Avram as such a divot, all of that which we, that that which He spoke up about Him or for Him. So that means He's going to simply it means that Avram tells his children, keep the Torah and the mitzvahs, do do righteousness, and if you will do so, God will be able to keep His wish, His promises that He made to Avram. That His, his children will be a great nation. No, we won't mess up the plans. And God says, I love him because he's going to make sure that his kids are going to follow my path. And so then, then I will be able to keep my promises to him. Fine. It's a deeper meaning. I love him because he's going to command his children to do Torah and mitzvahs. And as a result of them doing Torah and mitzvahs, God will be able to bring onto Abraham that which God spoke about onto him. What does that mean? Avram is the, is the intrinsic love of the neshama. We spoke earlier, Avram is love, and Avram represents the love of the soul. If there was one person that activated the love of the neshama to its, to its, to its most capacity in this world, it was Avram Avi. Okay. But as we said before, love has a limit. Love from within the construct has a limit. God says... But Avram Avinu is going to command his children to do tzedakah and mishpat, which is mitzvahs. And by doing mitzvahs, they're going to activate something much higher than where the love itself will reach. And that's the idea that God can bring on to Avram. That means above the natural love, God can now bring true godliness, not just godliness, but Hashem can shower Avram with, 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 with a revelation of God himself. Hashem spoke upon him. He can download infinite love on top of Avram's finite love. Nimshach al Avram will be downloaded on Avram, 
which is the Midah of love. We find Avram was always traveling, which meant his racing the Shama to cleave to God. But from the ultimate scheme of things, that is limited. Even though it's enough to get you excited all your life, it's still limited because it's always in the construct of existence. What? Avazutta, the lower love. And Hashem can bring us Shadibir Allah, Allah Daika. That's bringing in from outside of creation, from the master who's above the Pele, who's above from Pele and downward starts creation. And this is above the Pele, which is way above the Hasaga of the Nefesh. And it's, and its ability to cleave to the living God, which that's the reason we said earlier that because you realize that, that's why you attract. That's why Avram also retracts because he realizes he can't have that. Now I will be able to give Avram even that which made him retract from, recoil from, because now through Torah and Mitzvah you can reach even that. That's the horses that take you higher than, than where you can go on your own. But one place horses can't go is horse don't go through the sea. If they go in the sea, they drown in the sea. Like you saw by Kriyas Yamsa, the horses drowned in the sea. So what does it mean, Susvareich by Rama Bayam? That's where the mimer is going to, at the end. But Kriyas Yamsa, something happened. We were touching levels that are even higher than where, where the Torah gets to. It's the power that enables the giving of the Torah, which is even higher than the Torah itself. And that's where he's going to explain. And that's where I'm still confused. We have to leave this for next week, as we're going to see. It's Marshall Kadmine Shalom. But that itself, that Torah is the Marshall for that, is, was triggered by the Pneumius Va'atzmus of the Eberster, where, where is the thing? Even though through Torah we go there, example, even though through Torah, which is words, we go to that very high place. What did the Abish to tell the Jewish people by, by Kriyas Yamsuf itself? And we said before that horses are not words. What does Hashem say by Kriyas Yamsuf? In other words, where your horses go, usually where your horse can take you, you can't go, but now silence is necessary. Because we are triggering now even deeper, as we shall see. Okay. But as with Hashem, next week, Thursday, we're going to continue this idea. Oh, the next piece is going to continue explaining this concept, how every mitzvah is above, is outside of the, of the construct of a creation. And it's channeling godliness from above the whole, from, from outside of everything. And all of mitzvahs do that. And how it was related to Kriyas Yamsuf, the Ezra session. Okay. Yes. Which time is this? Sorry, in a minute.